Good morning. Let's come back together, find our seats as we prepare to go through the last paragraph of James. Just to start with, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being God's church, um, not only to our family, but throughout the, the church body with prayer this week and prayer last week. And just has been wonderful to see God's church being God's church. So thank you for that and your faithfulness to that. I want to go back to a story I may have told before, but back in, in the dark ages when I was a youth pastor, um, oh, some of you were in that group, sorry. <laughs> and um, since you just came back from Wildwood, a number of you high schoolers just came back from Wildwood, I remember one particular Wildwood trip, and back then Wildwood was actually a little tougher and not Mildwood, and... Um, and everyone had to do the bike ride. So, so the bike ride was mandatory. And our, our team, one of the days, we went on the bike ride. And, and you actually, it was a pretty lengthy bike ride up a mountain. And took probably four or five hours to do. So it wasn't just like, let's go down the street in the park. Um, and we got back to camp. And, and we're sitting in camp. And we start counting and we start looking at students because one of my, my um, just habits is I try to make sure I have all our students. And, um, and so we're counting and I'm one short. And, and that's, that's bad. And, um, and, and we figure out who it is and, and, and they're not there. And we look all over camp. Students are going all over camp and we don't know where this person is. And, and at that point, my heart actually, I, I know I, I can laugh about it now, but my heart is beating like crazy because that's a person and, and, and you have to come home and, and say you lost a person. Um, and, and yeah, not good. What would have happened though if we're sitting there and we find out we're missing one and I'm like, ah, uh, we have 20 others. <laughs> we're good. Jesus lost one. Um, so sorry, just think, just think about that for a minute. <laughs> we, you would think that I was an idiot of a youth pastor, right? At least not caring. It, it just would be so wrong to say, oh, someone is lost in the mountains. I don't even care. And, and so that, that's not what we did. Instead, we get all the staff together and Hume staff comes up from main camp and, and they are on bikes, they are on quads, they are on trucks, and they are scouring all of the, the fire roads up in the mountains. And, and I can remember that because it was one of the scariest times because, not, not because I'm afraid of coming back and saying I lost one, but because I love that person. I care for that person. And so to think that they're out there, and it took us about three hours to find them. And, and those were, it, it felt more like, 30 hours, because you know, you know how it is as, as moms and dads if you lose a child or something. And, and praise God, we found them, and just in one of the turns in the, in the road where there was a T, they went the other way, and the, the whole group went, went left, they went straight, because they had just spread out enough to not see the other people, and, and it all turned out well. But I was thinking of that story as we come to the text today, and the difference between actually caring if someone's lost versus, uh, who cares? There's other people I can talk to. There's, there's others that, that are part of the group. And that is where James is going to go in today's text. 
he, he's, he's been teaching all these wonderful things about how to put our faith into practice and how to live our faith, a real faith in real life, 24-7, every minute of the day, every second of the day. And that's what maturity looks like. But throughout James, and we've been trying to highlight it, there's this undercurrent of community. My brothers and sisters do this. My brothers and sisters do this. And, and this, this, this aspect of loving one another, not showing partiality, and being careful of how we speak to one another. And so in the end of the book, as we come to the conclusion, instead of the normal goodbyes in a letter, James is going to give us one final admonition. One final kick in the rear end to get our lives going for Christ and, and to be living for Christ. And he's going to say, don't just worry about yourself. Don't just consider how you can do the word. You're responsible for each other. And you're responsible for, for community and watching out for community and how we each are living for God, how we each are walking with Christ and whether anyone has wandered. And so he's going to say, don't just do the word but help others do the word. Help others live for Christ. And the title today is actually, We Are Our Brother's Keeper. And I get that all the way back from Genesis chapter 4 and Cain and Abel. And, and if you remember that story, Cain's the eldest. And, and he was born first. And, and then Abel comes along. And as they grow up, they're working and they both bring sacrifices to God. And I think older, younger brother is part of the dynamics here. They both bring sacrifices to God. Abel's is accepted because his heart is right with God. Cain's is not because it says you're, you're giving into desire. Sin is crouching at your door. His heart wasn't right. And, and, and Cain is just ticked off. In a moment, I mean, in Genesis 4, 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. He's like, come on, little brother. Let's walk. Let's walk in the field. And when they were in the field, Genesis 4 says, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother? Where, where is Abel your brother? And God knows where he's at, but he's trying to draw it out of him. He's trying to point it out. And Cain said, I do not know. Lie number one. Am I my brother's keeper? Lie number two. And Cain uses this idea of he's his, he's keeps his own life. I'm not responsible for him. Now, now he's the one that was responsible, but the bigger picture here of trying to use this argument of I'm not responsible for him was part of the problem here. Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And throughout Scripture, then, we see when community is talked about, when we come together, we are to care for each other. We are our brother's keeper. We are our sister's keeper. We are to notice what's going on around us. We are to be involved in each other's lives because what we each do matters. It matters to to the king. It matters to the church. And we cannot stand alone and walk with God successfully. We need each other. And so James here is going to end with what do you do with the person that wanders? What do you do with the person that's struggling? In last week's text, we talked about physical illness. And we should pray for each other and go to the elders and and lift each other up. And then James talks about spiritual illness. If you know that you're battling sin, go and confess to each other and ask for prayer. And those are both voluntary. But in today's text, he gets to the third case. What if someone's wandering and they're not asking for prayer? 
What if somebody has strayed from the truth? What if we come on Sunday morning and we notice, oh, someone hasn't been here for two months? Now, now noticing is actually the first step because usually we don't even notice, right? If we're honest. And, and, and so this is, James is going to say, so what do we do about that as the body of Christ? So turn with me to James chapter 5. We're just going to look at two verses today. Last two verses of the book. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one under a chair right around you. Love for you to open that up, follow along. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take that home with you as our gift. We want you to have God's Word. But James chapter 5, verse 20, and he's just talked about praying for each other physically, praying for each other spiritually. And he says this in verse 19 and 20. My brothers, which again can mean my brothers and sisters. It's an inclusive word. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. One little sentence. One little sentence to end this powerful book that has stepped on my toes over and over and over. One little sentence with a powerful ending where James gives us the last instruction that comes back to real genuine faith and how to live for God. And his last instruction is watch out for each other. Look out for each other spiritually. Be on guard for each other and be looking for opportunities to bring people back. If we had to summarize this this paragraph, I put a sentence at the top of your notes. Christian community means that not only should we be doers of the word, we are to be actively working to restore others that have wandered from living their faith. Christian community means that not only should we be doers of the word, we are to be actively working to restore others that have wandered from living their faith. And James here brings us back to saying we have the opportunity, we have the responsibility to pursue the wandering, to help them turn back to God. This is community. This is community caring for each other spiritually. One of our core values, the second one on the wall, is community. And, and one of the dangers of that is we think community sometimes is just having lunch together. Hey, Taco Bell is amazing community. Community is so much more than that village. Yes, have good meals together. Enjoy each other's company. But true Christian community is when we're willing to get in the trenches and fight for each other spiritually. Last week we talked about pray for each other fervently with work, with diligence, with effort. This week it's notice when someone's starting to stray. Notice when someone is struggling. But so often, and this is where we have to self-evaluate a little bit, so often we need to think, what is my attitude toward the wandering? What is my attitude toward that person that used to be in the row next to me that is now living in sin and posting all kinds of crazy stuff on Facebook? Do I just dismiss it? Do I get critical and say, man, man, they've really fallen off the deep end. I can't believe that. Do we gossip or do we seek to restore them in love? You know, with that that individual that was lost at camp, I could have sat in camp and said, they are so stupid. They didn't even follow the group. We came up that way. Why didn't they turn left? You know what? I'm just going to sit here. Teach them a lesson. 
That's not what God says to do. It's not what James says to do in this passage. And so we get this one sentence, two verses, that says, pursue the wandering, seek them out. And this morning I'd like to just make four observations about those two verses and then talk about how we do it. That's sort of a roadmap of where we're going. Four observations and then a roadmap. The first observation, and this is the longest one, but we are to notice and take the initiative to reach those that wander and bring them back into a walk with God. So this mimics sort of the main point of the, the whole paragraph. But we're to notice and to take initiative. And that's your blank there because I want you to notice the, the importance of that word. Take the initiative. Be proactive. Be diligent to go out and pursue to reach those that wander and bring them back into a walk with God. Verse 19 there says, My brothers, if any of you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, and the someone bringing him back is an active word that says they have gone out, they have found him, they have sought him and brought him back to the church. And verse 20 echoes that same thought. But think about the words in this verse. There are so many powerful things. James starts with, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders. And it's a reminder that, that anyone could be you. It could be me. We should be on guard. And this helps us stay humble in this process. Because that person we're pursuing, that we see walking away from the truth, that we see not following God, that's us sometimes. Anyone here never sin? No one willing to admit that? No, we all sin. We are all covered by the grace of God. We all can't save ourselves. We all need Christ for His righteousness because we are sinners without it. And so that brings us to humility that any of us could wander. But for the grace of God, any of us could stray. There are times that each of us struggle with attitudes, with sins, with pet sins that we just don't want to admit or don't want to get rid of. And so we, we come to this with humility. It could be anyone. Be on guard. It could be me. could be you. And then we see the context there. If anyone among you wanders from the truth. And James here is dealing with a very specific case of those that were in the church. Those that were professing believers that have now walked away from God and are not walking with God. All kinds of discussion I read this week of are they saved or are they not saved. Here's the answer. It doesn't say. It just says they were active in the church and now they're not. And we know that there are people that are active in the church and especially when you get into the Bible Belt and cultural Christianity, there are people that sit in the church their whole life and never have given their heart to Jesus and never have repented of their sins and never have said, I, I, I owe it all to Jesus. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. But boy, we can do all the right things. And maybe that's the soil that is the shallow soil that then the weeds choke it out. But that person probably isn't a believer. But yet they were part of the church and they they walk away. This also could be someone that is a believer. That is just a time that, that they are struggling with sin because we all struggle sometimes. The point is, it's someone that was part of the church and now isn't. And James is saying, notice that. If someone among you, one that was you, wanders from the truth and someone brings them back, and then he goes on to share the importance in the next verse. I love the word wander. He comes, anyone like looking at stars at night? Not here, but in the mountains. 
Um, and in the mountains, it's really cool. You can tell the difference between stars and planets, right? Uh, do you guys know how to do that? The stars twinkle and, and sort of shimmer. The planets are a solid light. And they move differently. If you go out at different times of the night, the planets sort of go through the star field. So the stars stay roughly the same, turn a little bit, but the planets move throughout the night. And so that's your your science lesson for the morning. The word here for wander means planet. And, And they described it as the planet that doesn't stay in the same spot, but wanders through the sky and then disappears. And that's the word that James uses for someone that has strayed from the truth, for someone that has wandered from the truth. They've gradually gotten off track, and then they go out of sight. And they aren't living for Christ. And, and when, they, when he talks about wandering from the truth here, this is James. What's important to James? Actions, right? Be doers of the word. Faith and works. And so what he's talking about here isn't just an intellectual wandering. It isn't just, oh, my belief has strayed. But he is vitally concerned with, have they strayed or have they been deceived in how they live their Christianity? How they live their life. The truth here is more than just the gospel, but all that the gospel includes, including how it affects our actions. It's wandering in practice. It really echoes 1 John 1, 6, where John says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, so if we say we're a believer and we're walking in darkness, our actions don't match, we lie and do not practice the truth. And so James, when he says they're wandering from the truth, they're wandering from the practice of the truth. They've been deceived. One author said, the truth is something to be done, not just believed. And so James is saying, if you see someone that not only wanders in what they believe, but if you see them wandering in their actions, if you see them struggling, and I think James here is talking about the very things in the book that he's talked about, all these things that we've learned over the last three months, if you see someone not doing these things, that's your call to action. Do something about it. And so he would say those that are letting themselves doubt those that are letting themselves be discouraged in trials and thinking of giving up, pursue them. Those that are struggling believing God is good, pursue them. Those that are showing favoritism or or prejudice, pursue them and bring them back to the truth because that is not of God. Those that are struggling with prioritizing money and stuff over faith and walking with God, pursue them. Those that are struggling with what they say and their tongue and say hurtful things, Pursue them even if they say hurtful things about you. Those that are causing dissension, pursue them instead of ostracizing them. Those that are no different from the world and have a friendship with the world, pursue them and show them that that isn't the way to live and that there's a much better way to live. And so this verse, it starts, this whole, this whole, these two verses, Say, take the initiative. It is on us to do this. If you notice who these two verses are written to, they're not written to the one wandering. They're written to the church. They're written to the mature believers to say, go do something about it. Don't just let your brother or sister in Christ fall off a cliff without warning them, without grabbing them, without bringing them back to the truth. So village, if we see a brother or sister here at village wandering from God, We have an obligation. We have an obligation to take some initiative and do something about it. 
We'll talk about what that looks like at the end because that, that can be a good thing. That can be a, a bad thing if it's done, done improperly. But do we notice those that are gone? Now, now we, we have to know why they're gone. So not everyone that's gone is wandering. So please don't call Happy and Amy, Pastor Andrew and Amy, and say, you know, we're concerned about your Christianity, brother. They're on vacation. It's good. Um, but if someone's leaving because of wandering, because they're questioning God, how can we bring them back? How can we bring them? And, and it's not always with a hammer. Okay? It's not always to go and say, you're a sinner, you're going to hell, see ya. But there are other ways that are part of that. We, we are given in Scripture a process to go and to love them and bring them back and to care for them, to pursue them. Really to follow Jesus' example with the lost sheep. Say, I'm going to go pursue the one that is lost. And so we bring them back to faith a walk with God. We bring them back to community. We restore them to community. One of the things we, we have tried to do, especially when our kids were younger, is after discipline, we try to bring them back into the family environment and restore them to family to let everyone know this has been dealt with, it's okay, and this isn't going to be something that hangs over their head. That's what we do as a community. We restore them. They repent, we restore, and we're family. And so when, when we obey this, we've got to be looking around. Just look around for a minute. Look around in this room. The people you see and the people that aren't here, the empty seats, you're responsible for them spiritually. Think about it. That, that's what James is saying, and that's what we see throughout Scripture. We're responsible for each other. We don't stand alone. Because we will fail if we stand alone. So we, we have to be careful not to, to get so caught up in self when we come on Sundays. To not get so caught up in our own issues that we forget to look around. As you come on Sunday, say, who does God want me to minister to today? Who does He want me to pray with today? Who does He want me to notice today? You know, one of the things that you can notice is people start to wander. They usually start to disconnect from a lot of things. So they may still be here, but if you see someone starting to disconnect from ministry and disconnect from, from studying God's Word and those things, that's a time to start building relationship and restoring and bringing them back. But we've got to spend enough time with each other to know when this is happening. Be willing to take the initiative to do something. Second observation really comes more from verse 20. Bringing someone back who has left Christ is vital work with eternal benefits. So do it, even if it's hard. And I know that's sort of wordy there, and I'm trying to get the sense of what James is doing, because in verse 20, he's he's saying, this is important, this is powerful, and he's really trying to get us to realize that this this is vital, that this is not something to be taken lightly. And and if we don't take it lightly, maybe we'll do it. And so that's why the number two, bringing someone back who has left Christ is vital work with eternal benefits, so do it even if it's hard. It's hard to bring someone back, isn't it? Anyone like to confront other people? No. Maybe a couple of you. And we can talk maybe about the right attitude to, to go into this with. 
No, it is hard to confront people. It is hard to go to a friend and say, you know what? I really see you struggling in this area. I, I don't think you're walking with God in this area. Can I help you with that? That is hard for a whole number of reasons, right? It's hard because none of us are perfect. And we're like, if I call someone else on their stuff, maybe someone will call me on my stuff and I'd rather not. But that's what the community does. That's what real community does. It's hard because of pride sometimes. What in fear, fear goes with pride. What if the person turns on me? What if I'm wrong? What if, what if, what if, what if? And James is saying, this is important enough to get past all that. This is vital enough to get past all that. So he starts verse 20 by saying, let him know. Let, and and the, the wording there means be assured of this. And he's trying to pound this in. Know this for certain. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And James isn't saying that you and I have the the power to bring someone back. We're agents of bringing someone back. God brings people back. We don't save. We don't restore. But isn't it incredible that we can be agents of that for God? That we can be messengers of that for God? That we can be ambassadors of God in that process? And so James is saying this is important. It's God's work, but you are acting on his behalf. Bring people back to Christ. This was the work of the prophets in the Old Testament. They always were saying, you've strayed. Come back to God. Things aren't going to go well if you don't. And so James here, if, if we understand this sense, if we understand that he's trying to pound in the importance, it means we've got to overcome the embarrassment of doing this. We've got to overcome the fear. We've got to overcome the, the pride and actually care for each other. Remember at the beginning I said, what if I didn't try to find that lost student? That would mean I didn't care about them. That would mean, that'd mean I, I, I wasn't even concerned about their safety. I, just all kinds of things that are just messed up. But do we care for each other? Do we show that spiritually? Are we willing to say the hard things and do it in love and do it in relationship in a way that will bring people back to Christ? And, and maybe it's someone that has wandered completely. Maybe it's just one area and it's a friend because we know, we know our weaknesses. And I would rather someone come to me and say, Ron, I think you're struggling in this area. Can I help you? Can I partner with you? I'd, I think that's more loving than just letting me do, go down that path. You know, we, we were at Yosemite a few weeks ago and, and we're up at Glacier Point. And Glacier Point is just this beautiful spot where you're at the top of, I don't know, what, about a 4,000-foot drop there? And you're just looking straight down. It's amazing. Um, and, and one of the kids was playing on some rocks up above the path over toward the end. And Susie was concerned. Maybe that's a light statement. <laughs> um, she was maybe freaking out a little bit. But um, like, get down from there. Now, why is she doing that? Because she loves them and he could fall off. They, they could fall off and, um, <laughs> and die. And she's not going to let that happen without a fight. Do we have that same approach in the body of Christ? That we're not going to let someone wander from Christ without a fight. 
without, without pursuing and loving them and, and trying to make a difference. Man, village, we're seeing people walk away from God all the time in this world. Walk away from, from, from Christianity. And it breaks my heart. I mean, even this week, we had a, yet another author and pastor renounce his Christianity. And, and we could get all mad and we can get all angry and say, I can't believe he did that. But have we prayed for him? Do we care enough? Now, none of us are going to go to him because we don't know him. But are we praying? Are we concerned about the body of Christ? And James, is, as part of his showing how important it is to get over ourselves and do this, he gives two results. And I'll briefly mention them here because those are going to be my last two observations. The results, he says, save his soul from death. That, think of the gravity of that statement. He will save his soul from death for all eternity. And the second result is it will cover a multitude of sins. Village, this is important. It's why James is ending with this. I always struggled with this ending of James. I'm like, I just want a good bye. Hey, greetings from so-and-so. And he says, no, get out there and help each other do this. It's that important. And it, 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 the first point we said, is there anyone we're not noticing? Or are we noticing when we come to church? On this point, I, I think more is, is there anyone that, that I know might be walking away from God that I'm not pursuing? Because maybe I just don't have the time. Maybe I'm afraid. Maybe I'm angry and hurt by what they've done. But is there anyone I'm not pursuing? Because it's that important to pursue them. Two other thoughts and observations about these two verses. And they come out of those two results. Number three, unforgiven sin leads to death eternally. And possibly in this world too. Unforgiven sin leads to death eternally, spiritual death, and possibly death in this world too. And, and we, we dare not lighten the gravity of what James is saying. Because he uses the word death. He uses the word soul. He uses the word save. And what we know is if someone isn't truly saved and they walk away from God, then that sin will give birth to more sin and that sin will ultimately lead to God's judgment. We are all sinners. And without the forgiveness of Christ, which is why we say unforgiven sin there, without the forgiveness of Christ, when we've repented and come to Him, then that sin is left for us to pay for. And that means eternal judgment. And so here He's speaking of those that weren't really saved, that were part of the church and and walked away. But if someone brings them back, Their soul is being saved from eternal death. Is that worth it? Is that worth a little inconvenience? Is that worth changing our schedule to have coffee with someone every now and then to make sure they're okay? Yeah, it is. And then last week we saw that sin left unchecked also can lead to physical death, especially for believers. God will only let His children sin and and smear His name so long on this planet, I believe. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 11 when he talks about those that are abusing the Lord's Supper. And Paul says, some of you have died because of this. We saw the connection with that last week to 
that unchecked sin has devastating results. And so how much do we have to not care for each other to not deal with sin? This is serious stuff. This theology of eternal death should motivate us to take this seriously. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, know that without His forgiveness, without repenting of sins, without coming to Him, the future is eternal judgment. The Bible is clear about that. And so this should motivate believers to help others, but it should also motivate unbelievers. Let's do something about our sin. Because unchecked sin leads to eternity without Christ. And eternity in hell. But then the fourth observation is the answer to that. And it's really the second result that James mentioned in verse 20. No sin or quantity of sin is beyond the forgiveness of God. Amen? No sin or quantity of sin is beyond the forgiveness of God. And so so James there goes to, you'll also cover a multitude of sins. And that word for cover, it, it often referred to divine forgiveness. And isn't covering or overlooking a great way to picture God's forgiveness? That His blood, His payment just covers our sin to where He can't even see that anymore because He sees the righteousness of Christ. And we receive the righteousness of Christ that we don't deserve and our sins are covered, gone completely. Never to be brought up again when we've given them to Christ, when we've trusted Him for salvation. Forgiveness village is available for all and and God forgives fully, He forgives freely, and He forgives forever. And we can rest in that and we can take that to the bank. There is nothing... If you don't know Christ, there is nothing you've done that God won't forgive. Sometimes I hear, well, I've I've done things you don't know about, Pastor Ron. You might have, but God does. He's already paid for them. You're good if you come to Christ. But also I love that James includes a multitude of sins. Because sometimes people can get caught into the lie that I've done so much wrong that Jesus would never forgive me. Oh, oh, if you're there this morning... Jesus is waiting to forgive you. He's waiting to receive you into his family. He's waiting to cover your sins if you will turn to him and give your life to him. Jesus died on the cross. The infinite God died on the cross and infinitely paid for all sins of all who come to him. That's part of what I see in that last phrase. We will cover a multitude of sins. In Proverbs 10, 12, we see a couple of verses about this. Proverbs 10, 12, which is Proverbs and Psalms is probably what James is thinking about when he writes this. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. And the idea of covering there is that it forgives, it takes care of all offenses. But Psalm 32, 1 is a beautiful picture. This Psalm is, is traditionally connected with David's sin with Bathsheba. And as he's processing this sin with Bathsheba and he's processing what the Lord has done, Psalm 32.1 says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And David here, who committed adultery, who committed murder, who lied about it, is saying, 
Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Now, I love this as a source for what James is saying because how did, how did David get to that point? Do you remember what happened? Back to Sunday school, remember our stories. Nathan, the prophet Nathan, who was his friend, had to have the courage to go into the king and say, King, you're blowing it. Okay, he said a little more loving than that. Told a story about the sheep and the guy with the sheep and said then this other guy comes and takes the sheep even though he only had one and this guy had a thousand. And, and, and David's like, oh, we should kill him. Got to deal with that. And Nathan said, that's you. That's what you did. The courage of Nathan, I think, is inspiring James to write this. And then David says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Without Nathan, David doesn't write this. Without someone that went to David and had the courage to bring his brother back, to bring someone back, no sin or quantity of sin is beyond the forgiveness of God. One thought by way of application with this, do we forgive that same way? Do we cover sins that same way? Or do we hold on to offenses with each other? Do we, do we cling to our offenses and just wait for the next time that person is going to hurt us again? Because if we do, we start filtering everything they do through this grid of, of saying, well, they're, they're meaning this, or they're meaning this, or they're, it just destroys the body of Christ. The picture here that James is presenting is that those sins are covered. With the blood of Christ, they're covered. And so in the body, they're off limits. When that person repents, it's done. If we bring it up, we're saying that Jesus wasn't enough. And so we need to be forgiving. There's four observations about those two verses. But how do we do this? Because... This could be done in so many harmful ways. How do we bring someone back? You know, is it with the hammer? Yeah, there's some situations that probably deserve that. I think Nathan with David was a little bit more hammer, but it was done in love. But how do we bring someone back that's straying in a way that restores them to the body of Christ, that draws them to the grace and forgiveness and love of Christ? And I just have sort of a six-step process here. And there's more, but these are things that we see throughout Scripture. The first one, we got to be sure we're loving them and that we're doing this out of love. If we're doing this just because we have a sense of justice and that person is blowing it and so we're going we're gonna to show them the way, then get someone else to do it. The first step is do we love them? And this is the underlying current in James, the, the community there. We love as a family. We love and we don't reject. Our love per, makes us pursue them. You know, when, when, when Susie was trying to get one of our kids off that ledge, that was because she loves them. She loves them. Loving them means to genuinely care for them to repent. That that is the goal. The goal isn't for us to say the right things. The goal is for their souls to bring them back to a relationship with God. 1 Peter 4.8, I think, brings some of these concepts together. And Peter says, Above all, 
Keep loving one another earnestly. So you get the love in there. Since love covers a multitude of sins. And he uses the same phrase that James does. And yes, love can overlook a lot of things. But love in the process of confrontation, love in the process of rescue is vital. Second thing we should do, and these are things we do before even talking to the person, before confronting. And this comes from last week's section in James. We need to be fervently praying for them. If you notice someone not here, if you notice someone whose actions aren't reflecting what it means to to be doers of the word, are you praying for them daily? Are you praying fervently for them? That is the step of preparation before we even talk to them about the issue. And then when we do talk to them about the issue, if there's others that know about the situation, have them be praying fervently. Be careful of gossip. Don't just bring everyone into it. But if they already know, have people praying. In Luke twenty-two thirty-two, And Jesus here is talking to Peter. Peter strayed, right? I, I would say denying Christ and taking oaths that you don't know Christ qualifies as wandering. And Jesus said this to him, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And Jesus starts with prayer. And when you have turned again, when you come back, strengthen your brothers. And Jesus' word to Peter is, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you through what you're about to go through that you won't fail. But when you've come back, when you've turned back to Christ, now do the same thing for your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. Fervent prayer is essential. Let us see. Then we take the initiative to be intentional and pursue them and seek them out. Take the initiative and be intentional to pursue and seek them out. And this is noticing them, being burdened for them. Create opportunities to build relationship. If you're seeing someone wander, if we're seeing someone separate from the church, God's church, the the first step isn't to go and confront. We start to, to build relationships, see how they're doing, find out what's going on, find out where we can help. We don't know what's going on in their lives, but this is part of loving them. Take the initiative and start pursuing Let's go to lunch. Let's go to coffee. Hey, how are you doing? And then letter D, and this is sometimes where we go to first, and it's not the first step. Letter D, talk to them about your concerns. Bring others in if needed. And this is where we follow Matthew 18, and, and, and starting at verse 15, it says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, so he's given some guidelines there, And then he tells the purpose of it. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And so this is the step that we either jump to first or we never get to. He says, if if, if someone's falling away, talk to them. Talk to them and share your concerns. Keep the circle where it needs to be. And then in the Matthew 18 passage, if the sin um, can persist if it's an ongoing sin and the person refuses to repent, then yes, you bring someone else in and then you may need to bring the elders in and the church in. But, but really the point here is to talk to them with truth and love and bring them back. I like the, the idea of gentle firmness. 
gentle firmness, and those are not contradictory words. But we can be firm and speak the truth in gentleness and in love. John 1.14 says that's how Jesus came, in grace and in truth. Ephesians 4.15 says we're to speak the truth in love to each other. And don't go to a person and tell that's your attitude, that we can speak the truth in love. Letter E, the fifth step. When they turn back, when they repent, forgive and restore. We've already talked about that, but forgive and restore. Don't keep them at arm's arm's length. When someone repents, bring them back into the family. If we keep them at arm's length, what are they going to do? They're going to leave the family. Well, that didn't help. They don't care if I repented, but we bring them back into relationship and we restore that sweet fellowship. And the sixth one, letter F, and this is one out of Galatians 6, 1 that, that we may not think is part of the process, but, but Paul mentions it to the church at Galatia. Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's all the things we've talked about. Again, same concept. Go after him, restore him, chase him, be gentle, but be truthful. But then Paul gives one more instruction that I think is worth noting. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so letter F is watch yourself. Watch yourself. And the temptation there, I don't think is the same temptation the person is struggling with. I think it's a temptation of superiority a temptation of pride, a temptation of arrogance. I'm better than you. But we're all in this together. We're all sinners saved by the grace of God. And so we come to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, walking with somebody. Not looking down, but walking with somebody. James ends his book, his letter, with this instruction. It's a final call for community to lift each other up. Not just physically, but spiritually. It says, don't neglect doing the word, but don't neglect being into each other's business either. And we're like, ah, no, but we're a family village. Let's make sure we don't fall. Ecclesiastes 4.10, end with this. Talking about the benefit of community. For if they fall one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. As we end James and all of these tough instructions, all of these great instructions, woe to us if we're alone and we try to to handle this alone. So we pray for each other physically, we pray for each other spiritually, and we pursue each other when we wander. Those are marks of godliness and true faith. We're going to move into a time of communion. And I think, I think this ending James is just a great time to celebrate communion because this is an act of remembering what Jesus has done for us. Remembering the forgiveness of sins and that forgiveness covering a multitude of sins. But, but also the reason we do this every month is to remind ourselves what God did for us and how we're to live for Him. And so this is a reminder to be doers of the Word, Right? to be walking with God. But one of the other aspects of communion and in the Lord's Supper that we don't always think about is the point of it is that we take it together. 
And, and our Lord's instructions was to take it together, right? When you get together, do this. As often as you do it, remember this. And, and the idea is communion has part of the word community in it. And that we are a community working to live for Christ. And so today as we take communion, and we try to focus on different things as we take it, today as we take it, pray for community. Pray for those around you in their walk with God. Remember, we're responsible for each other. We are our brother's keeper. See, in communion, we want to look back at what Christ did. We want to remember what Christ did. We want to look forward to His coming back. We want to look inward to make sure we're right with God. And that's part of this, to make sure our sins are covered and we've repented of those before we take the elements. We want to look outward because the text we'll read says this proclaims the gospel to the lost world until he comes. But we also look around. We take this together. We remember the body. And so today as we end James, don't just be doers of the word, but as we take communion, are we helping others? Are we taking this together or myself in my own little seat? And we remember our responsibility to each other to help each other walk with God. We are stronger when we stand together. We're stronger when we help each other walk with God. Let's hand out the elements and then thank God for them. Dear Lord God, we do praise you for your forgiveness. For that gift of grace that changes our lives, that gives us strength to face anything that gives us purpose, that gives us relationship with the God that created the universe. Lord, thank you for covering our sins. Lord, if there's anyone here that has never chosen to give give their life to you, that has never become part of your family, that has never experienced your forgiveness, I pray that today's the day they decide to do that. Lord, that they decide to become part of the family. May your spirit draw them and convict them and challenge them to follow you. Lord God, thank you for your word. Help us to be doers of it. Help us to love each other enough to help each other be doers of it, Lord. In your precious name, amen. Thank you for worshiping with us.